It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's another beautiful day for baseball in Los Angeles. And baseball podcast. Josh Schaefer and Blake Harris cover everything Dodgers right here on Inside the Ravine. How's it going, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Inside the Ravine. Today's going to be a very, very fun episode as Josh and I are joined by former Dodger Jerry Hairston Jr. But before we get to today's interview, make sure to subscribe and follow Inside the Ravine wherever you guys get your podcasts. You can find us on the Odyssey app or Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on social media at Inside the Ravine on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and on YouTube, where you can catch our full episodes. All right, now that I've plugged everything, here's our exclusive interview with Jerry Hairston Jr. All right, well, joining us on this week's episode is a face that I'm sure you're all familiar with. He's been part of the pre- and post-game coverage on Sportsnet LA for nearly a decade now. I think we're reaching the 10-year mark, and we're thrilled here at Inside the Ravine to welcome Jerry Hairston Jr. to the show. Wish we were talking about something a lot better, Jerry, but we're still thrilled to uh, get you on and talk some Dodger baseball. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. You're right. It's been a a tough uh, week or so. Uh, I wish the Dodgers were in the World Series, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, now originally, Jerry, when we were planning on getting you on, the plan was to talk about the Dodgers entering the World Series or entering the NLCS. And unfortunately, like I said, we're kind of talking about an awful, awful finish to the season. You know, one of the worst finishes to the Dodgers, you know, seasons in recent memory, considering all the horrible heartbreaks they've had. So, First off, I would just love to hear, you know, your thoughts from the series as a whole with the Padres, what you saw, what you thought went wrong, and why you think the Dodgers, instead of, you know, getting ready for the Astros in a World Series matchup, why they're at home probably golfing today or finding something to watch on TV. Well, you know, right now I'm thinking about the players. And really, you know, when they were eliminated by the Padres, you know, they just didn't play good baseball. You know, the Padres outplayed them. Uh, I just felt that there really, really wasn't a sense of urgency uh, on the part of everybody involved. And the reason why I say that is because how they played, uh, it just didn't appear that, and I know it's easier said from the outside looking in, uh, it just didn't seem like they were ready to 
to play the Padres because I think when they they played the Padres throughout the regular season, they absolutely dominated the Padres. Padres knew it, Dodgers knew it, everybody in baseball knew it. And I just felt like before they knew it, boom, the postseason was upon them. And I think they were so dominant throughout the regular season and they had that long layoff that maybe that long layoff or not playing in a meaningful game for, you know, because they didn't play a meaningful game in September because they had a division up. I think the playoffs kind of jumped on them a little bit. Now, was it the layoff? Maybe. Uh, But the players just listened to them, the disappointment, them feeling and knowing that they didn't get it done, that really hurts because even though I've been doing, you know, TV now for almost 10 years, uh, I still have player in me. So I look at the players and I hear what they said. None of them made excuses. They said that they didn't get it done from the hitting side. They said they didn't get it done. The pitchers were outstanding. The bullpen, we all we asked an awful lot of the bullpen. They really did an incredible job. It's just the hitting. Uh, it, it just didn't happen. You know, and I know the players, uh, they're never going to forget this because I know, you know, I look back. Yes, I won a World Series. Fortunate to be on a team that won in 09. But I think of 2011, I think of 2013 when I was with the Dodgers, way more than I do when I want, because you think about the opportunities that, man, we had a club to win it all and we just didn't yeah. get it done. That's gonna sting uh, probably uh, forever. Talking to Oral Hershiser, Oral still thinks about the times that he didn't win. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to quickly go off of before I go to Josh, you t- kind of talked about how they did have like that week off and this is the first time we've seen this like in the postseason. I know it's kind of tough for you to say because again, this is the first time we've seen them have a week off and pretty much it seemed like every team that had that bye except for the Astros kind of struggled. Now, you as a player, I- I'm sure this is something you guys talked about leading up to it, but do you think maybe that was kind of a disadvantage where they had five to six days off and it kind of maybe threw them off a little, or like you mentioned, you know, they didn't really play a meaningful game in September. And ever since they clinched the division, it seemed like everyone kind of, you know, not took a back seat, but everyone's numbers kind of slid off a bit. So do you think having like a week off maybe played a bit of an impact? Uh, I think it did. Uh, but you know what? Major League Baseball is not going to feel sorry for you. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, these guys, Freddie Freeman, he bets. The everyday players are used to playing every single day. And when you have that layoff, it will have an impact. That being said, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. So you have to figure out a way to make sure once you hit the postseason, whether you have a three-day layoff, six-day layoff, whatever, you've got to be able to hit the ground running. And, you know, I talk to scouts. I do this every year because, you know, listen, covering the Dodgers, I have rose-colored glasses because I care for players. I root for them. I am a homer because that's who, that's who I come. Right. And, and, I, and I, I played with uh, Clayton Kershaw, and I know a lot of the guys. So I have those roles covered. That's why I always like to talk to scouts. Hey, what are you seeing? Uh, you know, what's, what's going on with, with our team? And a couple of scouts that I trust, you know, they said, hey, you know, word around is the Dodgers have a hard time making adjustments or they don't make adjustments offensively throughout the course of the series. That's you know, not just this coming season, but it's in years past. Uh, And they're able to flip the script other teams off during the postseason. I'll say it all the time. Postseason baseball is a totally different animal than the regular season. You know, uh, they're able to key on you a little bit more. Uh, When you hit the postseason, scouts from various teams, when they know you have a chance to play those teams, they will scout you for about six weeks or so. 
Uh, so it's a different type of scouting they do throughout the course of regular season. During, during the course of regular season, a guy has 300, 500 at-bats. Here's his tendency. This is what he likes to do in the regular season. Because guys are chasing numbers, especially nowadays. You hit 25, 35 home runs, you hit 300, you're going to get paid. But once you get to the postseason, guys adjust, or they should adjust. Whereas, forget about the home runs, we got to make sure we get the guy over. Because if we get yeah. the guy over, chances are we're going to be able to score more runs, and then we advance, and we're going to get more money because we advance in, in, in the later round. So it's a different ball game. And I think that other clubs have heard that you know we, the Dodgers, sometimes do not adjust throughout the course of a playoff series. This is what I've heard. And Dave Assay talked about it the last couple of days. He had heard the same thing. So uh, that's something that we need to consider uh, going forward. Uh, how do you do that? You know, what what are what are some of those adjustments that you actually have to make other than you know? playing situational baseball with runners on base or runners in scoring position and changing your approach that way. But, but what is what are those mid-series adjustments like? I'll never forget, you know, right before, in 2009, right before we started the postseason, Derek Jeter, who didn't really talk a lot. You know, he was a guy, a leader that really led by example, but when he didn't speak, everybody paid attention. He made it a point in our hitters meeting, hey, this is the postseason. All bets are off. Nothing's going to be handed to us. If there's a situation you need to move the runner over, whatever you need to do, 90 feet matters. Move the guy over. I don't care if, if you have to bunt him over. I don't care if you have to shorten up. You make sure that that guy from second gets to third base. If there's a runner on third base, I don't care if you have to keep your foot down. Whatever swing you have, whether it's a two-strike approach right away, that guy from third base needs to come in. That's the mindset. Now, he didn't say this during the regular season. He said this right at the start of the postseason. That's the mentality. When you walk up to the plate and there's a runner on third base and less than two outs, right away you're going to two-strike hitting. Right away. I think if, if, if you watch what's going on with the Dodgers the last couple of years, do they do that? Maybe some do, but majority, at least I, I haven't seen it, Take that two-strike approach and make sure right away, if I, if I get something to hit the very first pitch, I'm taking my A swing as far as two strikes and making sure I'm searching for contact and make sure that ball is put in play so that uh, uh, that runner from third base is scoring. So that's the mentality, I think, that moving forward, they need to take. Yeah, I mean, there was that stretch. You know, I think it was from like games two through four or something where they were like 0 for 20 with runners in scoring position. And we saw, I think it was in that seventh inning to game four, they started playing small ball. Like they laid a bunt down, they did a double steal, and it worked. Like they were able to get a run. So you're thinking at what point, you know, when things are obviously aren't working, when do you ask a guy to get a bunt down? When do you ask, you know, a double steal? And for some reason, it just wasn't working for the Dodgers again until that seventh inning. And like you said, start with the two-strike approach because the the way the at-bats were looking, these weren't the at-bats that the guys were having during the regular season. I know you've talked about this. The postseason, it's an entirely different animal. It's an entirely different beast. Like, everything changes. And, yeah, it's just the fact that, you know, at some point, like you mentioned, you don't have to be the hero and hit a three-run home run. It would be nice. But at the end of the day, there were so many at-bats where just to sacrifice fly, just literally hitting a ground ball to second base to advance the runner or get the guy home, it might be the difference maker, you know, in the series. And Josh and I talked about this in previous episodes. I think overall the Dodgers went five for 34 with runners in scoring position. If they just go seven for 34 
or if, you know, a few of those strikeouts or flyouts instead, we could be talking about a three-game sweep for the Dodgers or a four-game series win, and they might still be playing. So, yeah, it's just one of those things where, again, if you're a hitter, at what point do you maybe just say, you know what, things aren't working? I'm going to get a bunt down. I'm going to see if this this works. I'm going to get the runner over and uh, just do what I can to help the team. And, and again, it might not be the best look if you're a home run hitter, but at the end of the day, a bunt single, if you win the game, no one's going to remember that you laid a bunt down as opposed to you getting a home run. Uh, that, that's, that's the key there. You know, when you have superstar players like Derek Jeter, and I played with Alex. Alex was talking about Alex Rodriguez. Alex shortened up a couple times in 2009, looking to go the other way. And when you see your superstar players doing that, of course, you're going to do it. Listen, nobody knows how hard it is to get hits in the big leagues than me. I was a career 260 hitter. I wasn't Nomar Garcia-Parra. I wasn't Derek Jeter. Right. So I know how hard it is to get hits in the big leagues. But you just mentioned earlier, we mentioned all the time, you can't tell me that if you shorten up, you can't put the ball in play. 70% of the time, 80% of the time, you've got to be able to put the ball in play. Make an adjustment. Get your foot down. Contact. You can score runs in the postseason without getting a hit. And that's yeah. the great thing about the postseason. I'm saying, listen, if, during the regular season when things are going, you're trying to get your numbers. I get it. I understand. You're trying to get paid. You're trying to feed your family. Totally understand that. Do what you need to do. But once you get to the postseason, you have to make adjustments. I saw Bryce Harper. I think it was Manaya, And I, I know her pretty well. Harp loves to use that leg kick, and he sometimes is big. He's shortened up against a lefty, making sure that I got to make contact with two strikes, and he hit a rope into the left center field gap and scored JT Realmuto. Those are the type of approaches you have to take in the postseason. Right. You have to be able to shorten up. And I'm just looking at and, and thinking about the Padres series. Anola, you know, he put the ball in play with two strikes just out of the outreach of, of Freddie Friedman's glove. But the fact that he put the ball in play, that extended the inning. And even earlier, I think it was Kim, right? I think we all thought he was going to bunt. And then he slashed or really shortened up his swing, and he hit a double down, down the left field line. You know, those are the type of swings you're looking for in the postseason. And then you run into that three-run home. You know, yeah. so I think a little bit of small ball. And I know manager Dave Roberts has talked about having different clubs in your back. You know, have your wedge, have your six iron, have your have your have your uh, your putter, and then boom, make sure your driver is out there with that three homer. So you have to have different clubs in your bag. So you know, you talk about you know Kim and and Nola and a few of the guys toward the bottom of the Padres lineup that have been so good all series too. Um, of course, the Padres, you know, pitching wise had a phenomenal series. Hitting wise, a little bit better than the Dodgers, but that's not saying too much. But yeah. Given what you just said, was it something that stood out to you that maybe the Padres were the ones making those kinds of in-game adjustments, or at least more so than the Dodgers were? I'm going to tell you one thing. So you guys know I play for a lot of different uh, teams, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different managers. Uh, I had heard once the, the Phillies were going to get the Padres uh, out of the Phillies camp, uh, they were saying they looked at the film and they saw a lot of Padre pitching was were making a lot of mistakes in the middle of the plate. He said a lot of the Dodgers were, were missing the pitches in the middle of the plate. The Philly says, we're not missing those pitches. They're not going to miss those pitches. And they were right. You know, again, it, it, is it swings? Is it approach? Uh, they saw on film that the Padre pitching, especially their bullpen, were making a lot of mistakes in the middle of the plate that the Dodgers weren't capitalizing on. 
And the Philly hitters and the Philly uh, coaching staff knew that they were going to be able to capitalize on, on those mistakes. And then they were able to do that. You know, when, when you, you really search for contact and maybe not searching and trying to do too much, those, fa- those fastballs at 97, 98 in the middle of the plate, if you shorten up, you barrel those balls, uh, they will go, whether in the gap or on a line somewhere. And in the Phillies' case, it's a couple times over the wall. Yeah, we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the Dodgers hitting. The one thing I wanted to get your thoughts on was the pitching. And obviously the pitching was, you know, lights out. That's not the reason the Dodgers lost because, you know, you, you can only ask for so much. But I wanted to know your thoughts on the Dodgers only letting their guys go five innings for their starts. Now, obviously, every five innings is different. Like Clayton Kershaw, he was kind of, you know, really working near the end of his outing. But with Tyler Anderson, he was kind of, you know, in cruise control all game. And I think following the game, he said, like, I would have thrown 150 pitches if needed. So looking back at it, what are your thoughts on how nowadays, you know, this isn't new with the Dodgers. We've seen it in years past. Guys get kind of pulled earlier. It's a lot different than it was, you know, in your day. What are your thoughts on just letting guys go five innings and then turning things over to the bullpen because you don't want starters to face the lineup the third time around? Do you believe that, you know, that's the smart thing to do? Or are you a guy where you think just give me the eye test? Let me see that a guy like Taylor Anderson is mowing guys down. Let me give him a shot to see if he can go through the six. And if he is, great. If not, then, you know, we turn things over to the bullpen. I'm telling you guys, adrenaline is a huge thing. man. I've seen it. I've seen it in the dugout. I've seen it in the eyes of pitchers that I, I was facing. And pitchers that I played with, like pitching five innings or six innings in, in, in August is a lot different than pitching five or six innings in the postseason. Those guys, yeah. up, they have adrenaline. And those 80 pitches, and I'm just looking at the eye test with Tyler Anderson, it looked like to me it was like 50 pitches. You know, I don't remember in that game he was ever in trouble. You know, yeah. he had the, the Padres stifled. I know a couple of the Padres players saying that we had no answer for Tyler Anderson. So when he was out of the game, we felt there was some hope. Uh, I understand playing the Monday morning quarterback is a lot difficult. Uh, by no means uh, do I believe, you know, Dave Roberts was at fault at all. Yeah. Uh, if you look, really look at the series, Dodgers, if they would have just played a little bit the way they played in the regular season, you ask the players this, if they hit, two or three more hits or put the ball in play without even hits. If you just put the yeah. ball on third base, they sweep the Padres. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Pitching was, that's how great the, the starting pitching was. That's how great the bullpen was. So I'm not going to fault Dave Roberts because he has studs in that bullpen. Yeah. yeah. He's done a great job. Now Dave's my boy and he, I think Dave has done an incredible job, you know? So could you have, had Tyler Anderson maybe face with a two-run lead, you know what? I'm going to let you face Juan Soto. And if you get him out with a two-run lead, then I'm going to let you face Manny Machado. But if Soto gets on, then I'm going to bring in Bruce Jarrett to face Manny Machado. Sure, you you can say that. But then again, you could also say, I don't want my reliever to have a clean inning. Yeah. I have no problem with manager Dave Roberts saying that because usually you ask relievers, they want a clean inning. You know, so again, you can nitpick here or there. But bottom line, guys, I'm telling you, it's about the players, man. Yeah. As a player, never did I ever say, well, I wish the manager did this. Well, I miss it. Bro, it's on us, man. We have an opportunity. They put us, here's the lineup, and here's your chance. It's me against that pitcher. Or on the flip side, it's the pitcher against the hitter. Defensively, did I make the play? You know, you have to be able to perform. And I love what the Dodgers players 
they didn't shy away from it. They said, yeah. we didn't get it done as players. We didn't get it done as players. And I love seeing that. That shows to me the character. They weren't pointing any fingers. The only pointing they were, they were pointing where, where was themselves as we just didn't get, get it done as players. And yeah. trust me, it, it hurts as a player when you don't get it done. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, reading Justin Turner's post from yesterday, like, you could see that it was just, like, he he felt like he let, you know, an entire fan base down. And, again, at the end of the day, like you said, the thing that it hurts the most is, again, people want to criticize Dave Roberts for how he handled Game 4. Up until that point, I mean, he was flawless that entire series with the matchups he did, the lineups he did. And, again, at the end of the day... Tommy Canely, he was excellent for the Dodgers all year. Yancy Almonte was excellent, and they just picked a bad time to kind of have one of the worst outings of the season. But, you know, they're the right decisions. And like you said, at the end of the day, the Padres didn't even do much better. Like Josh said, I think they hit like 180 or something with runners in scoring position. It's just that they happen to have one or two more hits. I know, I know people are kind of like, oh, Dave didn't have a bat. He wasn't the one that didn't, you know, bring guys in. Maybe if they would have given Dave a bat, maybe he would have gotten a bunt down and maybe he would have gotten a guy over to third and maybe we wouldn't have this problem. But uh, Jerry, enough uh, talking about, you know, what went wrong because let's get some positivity going. So it's going to be a busy offseason for the Dodgers. I mean, this, I think, is going to be one, be one of the more crazier offseasons we've seen in recent memory. A lot of guys are going to be free agents. A lot of guys that the Dodgers have to make decisions on. So there's a couple of key names that I kind of want to quickly just get your maybe just brief, you know, thoughts on. And the first is Clayton Kershaw, obviously he's kind of up in the air with his decision he said I think at the end of the year he's leaning towards coming back but obviously anything can change what are your thoughts on uh, Clayton Kershaw potentially coming back because I know there was the whole rumor with the Rangers but from our perspective it's tough to see a competitor like him wanting to maybe go to Texas I get it's close to home but he wants to win a World Series he wants to win one more so do you think Clayton Kershaw you know decides that let's run it back for one more season or do you think it's you know I've done enough uh let's go back home and let's be a dad full time well, listen, you know, Clayton has every right to make the decision whether he wants to go home with Texas or if he wants to stay uh, with the Dodge. I'm hoping he stays with the Dodge. Yeah. I think he has a lot left in the tank. Uh, he found something with his curveball, especially the, the second half of the season. So he definitely was a three-pitch pitcher, and he was so effective, and he really pitched well down the stretch. So I'm hoping he comes back and, and really uh, gives the Dodgers one more chance. Uh, you know, I yeah. think. If he really sits down and looks at it just individually, I think he may think, and I'm trying to get in his head, it'd be kind of cool to have your entire career pitch for one organization. You could be Calvin Jr., Kobe Bryant on the basketball side. That's something to be said to that. But at the same time, he's a father. 
I know him and Ellen are going to are going to sit down and figure out what's best for them. Don't count out the Texas Rangers now. You don't go and hire a veteran manager like Bruce Bochy, yeah, uh, without knowing. You know what? We're going to be aggressive in the free agent market. You know, and I know the owner yeah. there has a lot of money to spend, and he's going to be very aggressive. So uh, I think the Rangers um, are a lot uh, a, 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 a team to be reckoned with in free agency. You know, not just yeah. with Clayton Kershaw. So I'm hoping Clayton picks uh, picks the Dodgers, but he's got every right. He's earned that right to make his decision. Yeah, and another longtime Dodger, Justin Turner. You know, we just talked about him making that post. He has a club option. You know, he could be back next season. And, you know, maybe the Dodgers opt to not pick it up and try to work something out for maybe a cheaper, more team-friendly deal to bring him back. But this is another guy. It just seems impossible to see Justin Turner suiting up for another team next season. Oh, man. Uh, I talk about a guy, uh, the second longest tenured guy with the Dodgers outside of Kershaw's is Justin Turner. You know, one thing that when the Dodgers lost, and I was so passionate the last couple of weeks talking about Dodger baseball is because I know how passionate Clayton Kershaw and Justin Turner are uh, of bringing a, another championship to L.A. and having that parade. You know, and yeah. I want to see Clayton Kershaw and Justin Turner have that, experience that. They were robbed of that. Uh, the fans were robbed of that, having that parade uh, in L.A. So I'm hoping the Dodgers and Justin Turner find a way to work something out. Uh, and, you know, I think Justin Turner is still affected. A lot of people don't know this, but Justin Turner was hurt pretty bad toward the end yeah. of the year. Uh, so hopefully he gets healthy and, and is back in Dodger blue. And we have one final one. Again, he's a fan favorite, hasn't been around quite as long, but that's Cody Bellinger. I mean, this is a guy, obviously, you know, everyone knows what he's been through the last couple of years. And obviously with the bat, he's not what he once was, but there is still value in playing gold glove defense in center field. There is value in having, you know, amazing speed that he has. What do you think the Dodgers do in regards to him? Again, he can get non-tendered, be brought back on a cheaper deal. Maybe deep down he believes maybe a new shot with a new team might be better for him. But again, although he's not what he once was with the bat, it's not every day that you can just go and pick up a guy in center field, like I said, that can go out and win you a gold glove. Well, you know, it's amazing. You know, everybody said that, you know, when I went on my uh, plea, and I, I called a plea uh, probably about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, it wasn't a rant. It was a plea because I know how talented Cody Bellinger is. Uh, he's the best defensive center fielder in baseball. I don't think there's anybody close to him defensively. He's, an, he's electric on the base pass. And to see him, you know, the last three years, he's hit 200 combined. Think about that for a second. He is so talented, and for three years, he's hit 200. And, you know, he has to make an adjustment with his swing. Whoever he's listening to, and it's what I've heard is not the Dodger hitting coaches. Uh, he needs to get back to basics. Because, as you said, well, he's not what he was with the bat. He's not 38 or 40 years old. He's yeah. still young. He should be entering his prime now. But it's a mechanical issue. It's it's not something where he's old or his shoulders messed up and he's hurt. It's a mechanical issue. He fixed it uh, during the postseason last year. Um, you know, if you really look at it, his swing is not complicated. You know, it's fairly easy um, because when he gets to his hitting position, he hits. He has a hard time getting to his hitting position because everything is rushed. I know I've said this before. I care about him deeply. I, I love his family, love his mom, love his dad. I played against his dad. I talked to his dad a lot. Clay is 
is a friend of mine. Uh, so I want to see Cody Bellinger thrive, not just be in the big leagues. I want to see him thrive because I know what's in there. Yeah. MVP talent is in there. You know, so I believe Cody Bellinger can hit 300, have 40 home runs, and drive at 130 RBIs. I really believe that. So he's not a free agent. Uh, they have an opportunity to tender him a contract. And if the Dodgers decide to bring him back, I hope, hopefully he does make that change uh, with his mechanics because he can be a special, special player. And a guy that not is not hitting eighth or ninth. A guy that you can hit in the middle of the order because guess right. what? We've got all seen it. Yeah. You just don't wake up out of bed and, I'm going to be a rookie of the year. You just don't wake up out of bed. You know what? I'm going to be an MVP. It doesn't happen. Tony yeah. Gong has more talent in his pinky than I ever had. You know what I'm saying? So, again, he is a guy that I root for, and I just want to see him thrive. You know, we we saw the Dodgers make a couple of big, you know, offseason acquisitions over the past two years. Two years it was the trade for, for Mookie Betts. Last year um, they signed Freddie Freeman. You know, this could be a busy offseason, but what about in terms of, you know, free agency outside of the organization? Do you expect the Dodgers to to go out and make some sort of big splash, either in a trade or dipping into the market? One thing I've learned, especially watching uh, the front office uh, and the ownership, uh, they're very competitive. They're very competitive. They make sure once uh, the team hits the field that they're going to have a very competitive team. You know, if you go back, a few years ago, I didn't see the Mookie Betts and David Price trade yeah. coverage. I didn't see that. Uh, free agency, just last offseason, Freddie Freeman, boom, a dodge, an MVP. You know, so, you know, especially what has transpired uh, this past season, I have a really good feeling that the Dodgers are going to make sure they're going to put, put themselves in position that they're going to have a very competitive team come opening day or make sure they go get who they need to. At the depth. The great thing about the Dodgers is talking to scouts, a variety of scouts throughout Major League Baseball, tell me we don't have five, six, seven prospects. We have about 20, 25 prospects. Tons of players down in the farm system that are going to be capable Major League Baseball players, and a couple of them can be superstar players. So I think the Dodgers are going to make sure that they're going to have guys like Miller have an opportunity, guys like Vargas have an opportunity, maybe Altman have an opportunity, but at the same time, make sure you have a piece or two that can have an impact, whether it's via trade or, or, or free agency. I have plenty of faith in the Dodgers because they've proven over the course of, course of uh, time that they make sure they have a team that's capable of winning it all. Yeah, so, like, I mean, even I'll just say really quickly, Josh, even like you said with the farm system, the Dodgers, like, number 20 prospect would be... 25 other teams like number seven prospect it just goes to show just how deep you know they are it's 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 amazing and you know what and that goes to scouting that goes to development dodgers do an incredible job of once they get the guys in their system they make them better yeah they make sure they make them better and and, and outman i was so pleased i know aaron base uh, you know I've, I've talked to him he's one of the dodger hitting coaches they were able to revamp his swing because he was a great athlete coming out of college but he was a little raw with the bat. Incredible defensive outfielder. But what they've done to restructure his swing, uh, it's been amazing. And you guys saw it, uh, last year up in the big leagues, uh, he really put on a show. And then when he went back down to AAA, I think he hit like he hit for the cycle like twice Dude, in like four days. Yeah, yeah, yeah unreal. It's ridiculous. So again, 
the Dodgers did a great job in, in not only drafting and signing guys, but developing guys. Right. You know, we, we, we talked to you a little bit about, you know, the postseason and the offseason about the baseball side of things with the Dodgers. But we also want to learn a little bit more about you, too. Um, you know, first, obviously, where a lot of people uh, will have seen you recently is, is on the Sportsnet LA broadcasts. Um, how did that kind of come about for you? Uh, how, what, what was that opportunity like? And, and did you envision, um, you know, that opportunity for yourself after your career came to a close? Well, you know what? I always wanted to do something after baseball that was baseball related. And when I was very young, my dad was a player. Uh, and one of my favorite broadcasters was Don Drysdale. A lot of people don't know this. Don Drysdale was the voice of the White Sox uh, in the 80s, early 80s, when my dad was a player for the White Sox. So I remember we're on, on the bus. I was like eight or nine years old. And I sat next to Don Drysdale. I was like, oh, my God, Don Drysdale. You know, I watch him on sports channels. That's what it was called in Chicago. And I told him he was my favorite broadcaster. And I said, how do you know so much about baseball? He goes, well, I used to, I used to be a player. And I was like, I didn't know he played. Right. Remember, I'm eight or nine years old. Okay. So I did re research on Don Drysdale, then learned that he is a Brooklyn Dodger legend. And I said, that's what I want to do. I want to play basically baseball. And then when I'm done playing, I want to become a broadcaster. Fast forward, I become uh, an analyst and broadcaster for the Dodgers, uh, a team that Don Drysdale starred for, for many years. So that's how I had the vision to become a broadcaster. And as a player, um, I started doing some broadcasting things. You know, I do stuff for ESPN. I would do stuff for uh, MLB Network as a player. So I made sure I had reps. And then when I became a Dodger, uh, Lon Rosen, as you guys know, uh, he, he runs up uh, the Dodgers broadcast division, among, among other things. He told me when he saw me doing TV, he goes, you're going to do uh, Dodger TV when you're done playing. So he basically grabbed me and said, hey, you're going to be uh, one of our guys. So that's how I got to start with the Dodgers TV. Yeah, it's crazy we're getting to the point, Jerry, where, like I said, I think it's been close to a decade now. We're going on nine or ten years where you're getting to the point where I'm sure there's a lot of Dodgers kids that are growing up going, oh, yeah, you're the analyst guy because you've been around so long now. There's a lot of kids that probably didn't know that at one point you were a Dodger. So it's remarkable that, you know, you've been doing it for ten years or so. One thing I want to ask you, and with a lot of players, we see them like get interviewed and we can instantly go, they have a future in broadcasting. They have a future doing, you know, maybe like color commentary. Who do you think on the Dodgers maybe once their uh, playing days are over we might see them in a booth somewhere well I mean there's a couple guys that can really do whatever they want when they're done playing I, I think of Justin Turner you know Justin Turner can be a broadcaster he can be a manager someday uh, I think he his sky's the limit with him you know very intelligent guy knows the game uh, I, I, Mookie Betts is another guy uh, but I think Mookie has made so much <laughs> so much yeah. money <laughs> think he's going to be doing TV. Uh, but, you know, Justin Turner and Mookie Betts are, are the guys that uh, I look at as a, a possibility of if that's what they choose to do, uh, maybe getting into broadcasting uh, or, you know, Justin Turner getting in, into managing, possibly. Yeah. You know, I think Justin Turner would be an incredible manager. Do you have uh, any interest in joining Joe in a booth for a series? Because I know they've been rotating, you know, broadcasters, you know, through road trips. 
Twitter, people are talking on Twitter. They want to see Jay Hare in the booth for a series. So I know it's a lot different than, you know, being behind a desk on camera. Do you have any interest in, you know, doing some color commentary in the near future? You know what? I really don't. Uh, I, I love listening to Oral. I love listening to uh, Nomar was on there. All the EK does an incredible job. Justin Mendoza, D Train. Uh, I helped D Train get in the broadcast, and so I told him he'd be great. <laughs> He's my good boy. call. Uh, because I, I knew his personality. I knew Train's personality. So me, D Train, I love whipping him on the golf course as well. Uh, but, you know, maybe down the road, honestly, guys, I've had offers to uh, be in the front office, various clubs. I've had offers to uh, be a bench coach, third base coach, various clubs. I have friends all over uh, baseball. Uh, right now, my main job is to raise my kids. That's the one thing that I focus on. I have three kids. Uh, I have a son who's a junior in high school. I got a daughter, a sophomore, and another daughter uh, in seventh grade. All of them are in sports. So this job allows me uh, the time to raise my kids and train them. You know, they love uh, yeah. uh, me training them. So that's my focus and, and, and doing what I do right now. I love what I'm doing. Uh, it, it allows that flexibility. Um, but, you know, those guys who are doing the games with Joe have been amazing. Joe Davis is incredible. How about the call he had with Bryce Harper's home run? Yeah. Oh, we yeah. know as Dodger fans how great. <laughs> yeah, we're spoiled. Uh, but now the world is seeing how great Joe, Joe Davis is, and I cannot wait to see him call uh, the World Series because uh, Joe's an incredible talent. Yeah, well, I mean, we both we both went to to journalism school, you know, for this, and you know, play by play is what's what's up my alley. But obviously, love the the energy that you bring to to the Sports Net LA broadcast. And, and oh, too. I mean, we, we were missed, and I mentioned this guy, John Hartung. I, I, I've gotten a chance to do TV. And I've gotten a chance to, to work with various guys who are the point guards at LB Network, at ESPN, one of my really good friends uh, that kind of helped me um, it, during the broadcast early years, Harold Reynolds and Stan Brett. Stan Brett is a guy who, who does uh, LA Sports Center. I still golf with Stan Brett all the time. Uh, John Hartung is incredible. What you guys don't get a chance to see when we're there, I'm just talking baseball. Okay, that's something I since I was two years old, I've talked about. Right. John does an incredible job being the point guard, making sure everything's running smoothly. What he has to deal with guys like me and guys like D-Train, Nomar, Oral, we're all kind of right. crazy. John is so talented. He is the best at doing what he's doing. He is incredible. And I wish Dodger fans got a chance to see. They should do like a backstage while we're doing something right before during the commercial break. And then he has to hurry up and then boom, we're right out of commercial. <laughs> right. Uh, during the commercial breaks. That's yeah, awesome. He, he does an amazing job. Um, well, Jerry, we do have a, a few questions just about your playing career and then we'll uh, let you go. So we'll kind of just rotate through these, but I'll, I'll lead us off. So outside of the Dodgers, which we all know is deep down your personal favorite, but you played for a lot of teams, you know, throughout your major league career. What, team you know not necessarily like it doesn't have to be like you know the best team but what team did you play for when it comes to the organization the fan base you know other players around you like the staff and just overall your experience there was probably your next favorite outside of being a dodger uh, well you're right there's nothing like being a dodger i i love the experience uh, playing for the dodgers la hollywood the fan base i enjoyed every stop i played in I really didn't. I know this is going to sound cliche. 
I really believe playing in New York, playing in Chicago with the Cubs, the, the Nationals, when they were an up-and-coming team, they had a young players, playing for the Cubs under Dusty Baker and Dusty Baker in Cincinnati, San Diego under Bud Black. I've learned so much about baseball. Learning from Dusty Baker, learning from Bud Black, learning from Buck Showalter, Ron Washington when, when I was with Texas, Don Mattingly when I was with the Dodgers. I, had, I got so much information. I know I like to talk a lot and I have more of an outgoing personality, but I love to listen and learn. And how they call a game or excuse me, how they manage a game in certain situations. Dusty Baker would, would show me his notes. So he said, one day you might be a manager. I want to make sure you're prepared. He would prepare me for being, being a manager as a player. You know, he would ask me, what would you do here in this situation? Just so he, because let's say if I were the plan, would you put yourself here in the seventh inning or would you put yourself here in the ninth inning? And he'd tell me the reasons why he'd wait for me in the ninth inning as opposed to sixth or seventh inning because I play all the variety of positions. So I got a chance to learn from every stop I played. So it wasn't just one, one spot. You know, I love playing in L.A. and I love playing in New York. I love playing in a lot of places. But the biggest takeaway for me is I got a chance to learn from a lot of great managers. This might be another hard question for you then, but was there a, was there one particular teammate who across your career stood out to you as one of your favorite guys to play with or learn from? Um, there's two guys that really stood out. Um, Derek Jeter. And for yeah. other reasons, Derek Jeter and Michael Young. Michael Young, I got a chance to play with with the Texas Rangers. To, to see him play every day, Michael Young, I really got to appreciate that how great of a player he was. Now, you know, playing against him, you know, he's good and, you know, yeah. he just was very underappreciated. But he really made himself into a superstar player because that's what he became a superstar player. A guy who had different swings in his bag. Great two-strike hitter, um, and I really got a chance to see him as a teammate, too. Great leader. Michael Young doesn't get talked about enough. And I'm going to talk about Derek Jeter. Everybody knows Derek Jeter. He's a gainer. He's this and that, which all that is true. I got a chance to see him as a leader. He, he was a better leader than I anticipated him being. I knew he was a captain. I know he led on the field and everything like that. But to see him interact differently with other players, and to make sure that everybody knew in that clubhouse and in that dugout that you were part of this. We're going to need you at some point uh, to make a play or get that big hit or get that big out of the bullpen. He made sure everybody knew that they were part of it from the number one guy to uh, 20, 25th guy. Uh, and even though he was 6'2", 6'3", maybe 6'4". He played the game like he was Dustin Pedroia size, five foot six. That's how he played that game. You know what I'm saying? And it, it would be interesting to see him have the resources one day and him really lead a franchise. He had he didn't get that opportunity in Miami. If you look at yeah. him, he was starting to, he had no money. And then he developed that, which they have a lot of good young players. The Marlins are three or four veteran players away from being a tough team to deal with yeah. because they got good young players. Derek got those young players. If you give DJ resources, man, with the way the game is played today, he'd book race. You know, talk about right. trying to swing for the fences all the time. He would instill his mentality on a franchise. Oh, boy. 
I'll tell you what, Derek really, uh, really impressed me. Yeah, that would that would be fun to see. I got one more just on my end. It might be tough. You might have to open up the vault for this. But out of your entire career, who was the toughest pitcher you ever faced, oh, and who easy. was and who was a pitcher that you know for some reason you had their number, and when you saw them on the mound, you were saying, "Man, please get me up there. Like, get me in a bat. I'll hit. I'll hit cleanup. I'll hit leadoff. Just get me in a bat against this guy." Well, I remember driving. I'll answer the last question first. I remember driving, and I got a text from a buddy of mine he was listening to um maybe it was either the dan patrick show or something and i guess barry zito was on the show and dan patrick asked barry zito um i believe it was dan patrick who was the toughest hitter you ever faced or who would you would think that this guy just wasn't a star but he just owns you and barry zito said jerry harrison jr (laughs) (laughs) yes and then uh, I got that text, and I said, well, Barry's right. I hit Barry Zito very, very well. I, I, for whatever reason, uh, I hit him well. Barry, obviously, incredible pitcher, great career. I just saw the ball good off him. On the flip side, the best pitcher my eyes have ever seen is Pedro Martinez. You know, with the guns now, how they're able to pick up uh, velocity out of the hand, a lot of fans don't know this. So. Back when I played 10, 15 years ago, velocity was picked up probably about 15 feet at the plate. So guys that are throwing 97, 98, then will be throwing about 100, 101 today because now they're picking velocity out of the hand. So Pedro Martinez today will be throwing about 101, 102 miles an hour. I ain't never seen stuff like Pedro Martinez. And I, for whatever reason, I guess right against him a lot, and I hit him well. Without question. The guy that gave me fits was Roy Halliday. Mm. I mean, Roy Halliday just gave me nightmares, man. I, I just couldn't. Had a hard time picking the ball. The move, the ball, the movement of the ball always was throwing on 96, 97. Well, today we be throwing about 99 miles an hour. It sank, it cut, it ran. He had a split, had a hammer. He gave me fits, man. Roy Halliday was a nightmare for me. Really quickly, Josh, I, I knew you were going to ask when Jerry, I quickly uh, got up the numbers because I was just interested. You might want to close your ears for this, but Roy Holiday, uh, 097 average. So you were right. He uh, had your number. But against Barry well, Zito. Well, that's like Roy Holiday. I'm one for my last one. At a 15 hey. pitch at bat, I hit a, <laughs> a base hit to right. I hit a base hit to right. And I rounded first, and I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, turned to me like, he turned to me like, you know what? I'll give you that. That kind of hurt me because he knew he had dominated. Right. He'd be like, I'll give you that. Hitting a, th- hitting a thousand over your last 1AB. Yeah, I mean, what more can exactly. you ask for? But uh, yeah, Barry Zito. And actually, Jay Hare, you faced him more than any other pitcher in your career. Barry Zito. You faced him 40 times. He hit 345 and posted an 1100 OPS against Barry Zito. So maybe he wasn't kidding. Maybe actually you're the greatest hitter against him that he ever faced. So you're saying I was Barry Boss against him? Barry yeah. Zito. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Last one before we let you go. I know you said that you spent a lot of time, you know, raising and, and, and coaching and being there for your kids. But, um, you know, what else What else does your offseason look like until Dodgers baseball comes back around? Well, I told my brother Scott that he needs to prepare himself because uh, my golf game has gotten really, really good. Really good. And Scott's taken a hook. My brother Scott's taken a hiatus from me because I've beat him down uh, the last several times from a golf course. So I know what he's doing. He says his back is hurting. What he's doing is he's probably getting golf lessons, uh, making sure next time he, he plays me, 
that he'd be ready for me. So I've been playing a lot of golf along with, you know, raising my kids. I've gotten into acting. I don't know if you guys know that. Uh, I was able to get on in in the show Shooter. It's on Netflix. Make sure oh, wow. Uh, and hopefully uh, I get, some, get into some things down the road. So uh, I've enjoyed the acting part as well. Well, we're going to have to get you back right. on later on to ask you more about that. So <laughs> hey, I figured I acted like a baseball player for 16 years. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Jerry, as someone who just started golfing for the first time in my life a couple months ago, uh, is there hope for me to eventually one day not suck? Because it's been rough out there these last couple months while I've been teeing off. I, It's not pretty. So is, is there hope for me? Can, can I one day be as good as you in golf? Well, that's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. I don't think so. Well, that's like saying, hey, Michael Jordan, can I be as good as you at golf? That's not going to happen. You're not going to achieve it. That's not going to happen. But what can, what can happen is you can be your best you. Okay? okay? So what I would recommend is do not worry about the golf score. Worry about ball striking. Okay? Ball striking. Work on that. Hit, hit, hit. And make sure you're flushing your irons and making sure you're squaring up the, the face with your irons and with your with your woods as well. Okay, baby steps. Hey, when I when I'm teeing wow. off at the PGA Tour in a couple of years and they say what's your inspiration, I'll say former Dodger Jerry Hairston Jr. He's with us <laughs> to this two round. But uh, Jerry, we appreciate the time. You were very generous. Um, again, we appreciate everything you do for the Dodger fan base. You're one of the best. You're the voice of reason. Everyone knows that we always can turn to you with you know just everything you provide. So just from the two of us that have been watching for a decade, thank you for all you do. And once again, thank you for your time. And ho here's to hoping uh, next year, if we get you on, we're talking about how the Dodgers just won the World Series and not uh, another uh, what went wrong. You tell you what, for the heart heartaches that we're experiencing now, it's going to be that much sweeter when we're celebrating next year. All right, well, that wraps up our interview with Jerry Hairston Jr. Josh and I had a total blast. And once again, a huge shout out to Jerry for joining the show because that was a really fun 45-minute interview. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you guys get your podcasts. You can find Inside the Ravine on the Odyssey app and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Inside the Ravine. And you can also find our full shows on YouTube as well. Just go and search Inside the Ravine. For Josh Schaefer, this has been Blake Harris. Thank you guys so much for listening as always. We really do appreciate it. And we hope you have a great rest of your week, wherever you may be.